everyone enjoys sealing a deal, but not everyone gets excited about the idea of getting started with sales. That's in part because the word sales can make people feel uneasy. Just as with marketing, there's a fear about being pushy or irritating. But that's not the whole story on sales. In fact, for folks in the startup game, sales can be a very rewarding part of business. I'm Krista King, founder of Fitlandia, co-host with Kedma O, director of Mount Hood Community College's Small Business Development Center. And today on Biz 503, we're covering the basics of sales for startups. And joining to help us understand why engaging in sales is more doable than most is Amanda Wilson, founder of Foxa Pod. Welcome. Thank you. And Angie Gordon, founder of Pop and Paint. Welcome. Thank you. Let's kick it off with you, Angie. I am so excited to learn more about Pop and Paint and kind of how your sales experience imparts in that business. Yeah. Well, can I give a little intro of what Pop and Paint is? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Pop and Paint is basically a boutique painting class that pops up near you. So we travel. We do not have a storefront or a studio. We bring the studio to our clients whether it's in a bar, a restaurant, private residence, or even office building. So we do private events, public events. We supply all the painting supplies, including step-by-step instructions from our local artists. So I work with local artists to help provide them with jobs and work within the community to help provide creative activities. So I love it. That, that, is. that sounds super exciting. And so, yeah. so give us a little, just a little bit of a background with your sales experience with Pop and Paint. You know what? It has been a little bit all over the place. You know, starting out with sales, you know, I had did my market research to figure out who I was marketing to, who I was trying to sell to. And you have to be flexible with it. My target market was not what I originally thought it was. So I had to rearrange a couple of things and go back into it, you know. So, I mean, being flexible and figuring out what and who to sell to, that's the biggest thing. Super smart advice. And I'm going to kick it over to Amanda with Voxapod. And I'm a little biased because I know about Amanda's business and her background in sales. But Amanda, go ahead and tell us about your awesome business, Voxapod. Yeah, so Voxapod is an innovation. Um, We innovated a menstrual cup for women. And a menstrual cup, for those who don't know, is an alternative to pads and tampons. Um, that's healthier, more eco-friendly, and um, has a huge social mission to help girls in the developing world stay in school after they start their period. Most girls drop out of school because they don't have access to resources um, or they lack proper bathroom facilities or clean water. So our goal is to help marginalized girls, but also to provide women here in the United States with a healthier alternative to manage their period. I love it. And tell us a little bit about your sales background. So I have about 10 years of direct sales background, everything from door to door to business to business to business to consumer, Um, ran a retail um, department starting out at 16. And I did that for two years. And I put myself through college by selling educational materials door to door, um, paid for all of my schooling and graduated debt free. So I figured out a lot of things in that process very painfully. Um, and then after that, I worked with a couple of startups where we, um, had just a really small base and foundation, a very lean business model. And the goal was to grow to the point that we could hire on staff and outsource some other things. And my job was to really operate the sales funnels so that we could afford to do some of those other things. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, as I'm listening to this, Amanda, uh, one of the questions I'm really curious about, because there's a whole piece to the sale process, but the reality is, is that there's an emotional piece to sales. So you sound so confident. Tell me, was there a point in the sales development where you were actually scared to death with the idea of selling? And if so, how did you overcome it? That's a great question. Um, I think so much of running a business and also learning how to do sales is um, not only learning how to interact with people outwardly, but also dealing with some of your own mental struggles inwardly. Um, And I don't know that you fully ever completely overcome that. I think there's always a little bit of nerves involved, um, but I think action cures fewer. And so it's really important to take those steps, even though they feel really scary. Um, And the more that you do it, the less scary it becomes and the more confident you become in it. And the more you realize that you're just helping people and you're dealing with real people who have real struggles, real needs, and you have an opportunity to help them. And when you can get in that service-minded standpoint, I think it's a lot easier and it takes a lot of the pressure off to have to sell and realize that you're actually giving people an opportunity to buy. Wow. And Angie, same with you? It is. I'm actually, I feel like I'm an introvert. So selling is extremely hard for me. It's part of my growth zone every day that I go out there. But I feel like I have the passion to do it. People see I'm super excited about my experience. And it's not only just a painting class, it's therapeutic. Like people go and relax. They have a glass of wine. I mean, when you pair painting with drinking, it takes away all those inhibitions of A, messing up to be creative and just, you know, you're relaxing. You're getting all that out that you want and you just go home stress-free. So they all see the passion. Did you say stress free, <laughs> stress free. Yes. <laughs> Can yeah. I join your sales program? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Amanda, help like de-stress me and our listeners right now. When we talk about marketing and sales, those can be really squishy because they're they're pretty much intertwined. But what is the difference between marketing and sales? Marketing is essentially the concept that you are trying to present to people. Um, and it encompasses your branding. So you have a consistent voice, a consistent message, and it's really discovering which platforms are going to resonate and meet your target market, where sales is actually looking to drive a revenue source specifically to your business to potentially help fund your marketing um, platforms that you're using. And so sales is that direct, um, actually it can look different ways, but it's, it's typically that direct connection to the person or the source that is going to purchase from you and actually supply a source of revenue where marketing is the presentation of that. Awesome. I love that. And, and maybe, Angie, you can talk a little bit about what are some of your marketing channels, but then how do you translate that into sales? Yeah, so I have several different marketing strategies. I go through social media, which is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I also have an online platform, the website, and that's usually where I do most of the sales is online. Um, But I also go out person to person, like no matter who I meet on a daily basis, like whether it's a networking event or just going to the park with my son, like people usually end up chatting you up. Oh, and the number one question that always comes up, what do you do? (laughs) So you're like, oh, hey, I have this business. And everyone usually that I meet loves the idea. And once they see the passion that I have for it, they're like, oh, well, do you have a card? I would love to check it out. So yeah, I think that passion just really comes through and can make that sales process so much easier. Mm-hmm. You know, Angie, and as you're speaking about going and meeting people, so I'm always fascinated. I'd love to get your opinions on 
How much does your persona play a role in the success of sales? So could I show up tomorrow and be your employee and say, I'm going to sell this like hotcakes. So I'm curious to know where personality plays a role in the success of sales or does it matter? Is it really just your product or do you play an influence in it? I think influence is a big player in it. I mean, the personality and the attitude that a person puts forth is really going to sell someone. Like if you have a, you know, engaging, energetic attitude, yeah, that's going to be a lot more presentable than someone that's not so engaging, (laughs) kind of sits back in the corner, doesn't talk that much. You know, that's not the sales personality, but you also don't want to go overboard too. You want someone, your potential client to get excited about what they do and not be like, "Mm, I don't want to talk to this person anymore. So um, yes, just a couple minutes that I've seen you. Yeah. I love your attitude so far. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. But speaking about sales personality, so to Amanda, what would be a sales personality? Because, you know, is it that we're all born to sell or do we have a sort of sales personality that's cultivated? I, yeah, I would counter a little bit on that and say that anybody can be a salesperson. I think part of being a really good salesperson is being authentic to who you are. And I think one of the common, maybe the only commonality is courage, um, that anybody can be trained a certain set of skills Um, To Angie's point, the emotional transference is a big part of convicting people or allowing people to enter in to why what you're selling is so resourceful and helpful to them. And so having those, you know, positive energy and the, um, you know, confidence, those things help. Um, Those people might have what we call a higher closing percentage. Um, But I still think people that maybe are you know, traditionally known as an introvert or not what we consider the old school, hardcore, hard closed salesperson, sometimes those people pan out to be even better salespeople because they know who they are as a person and their authenticity comes through and that trust is established so much quicker with potential prospects. So Angie, I have a question for you. For anyone that's starting out in sales, there's so much new technology and techniques that are out there and it can be so overwhelming, but what are some of those tried and true sales techniques? And then is there any technology that you're kind of uh, making great use of too? Well, I think it goes back to your target market. What are they looking at to figure out what they want to do as far as activities? So I'm selling a service of painting. Um, You know, my target market is basically using Facebook and Instagram. So I definitely use those platforms, but also that personal connection. Portland is such a small town that making relationships is fantastic and that will get you so far. Um, so it's sometimes phone calls, sometimes it's just meeting the random person on the street and having a great conversation about it and getting them excited about it. And that's certainly one of those tried and true techniques is just being connecting with another human being right. on solving their problem. Amanda, what technology are you engaging in to help you with your sales process? Um, you know, social media is a is a big one for particularly my company, Voxapod, um, because that's where a lot of our age demographic target market is finding information. Um, the internet in general, a lot of people still don't know what a menstrual cup is, and so they do a lot of internet research on that. Um, and other things that I've sold in the past, um, you know, using just your computer and potentially like a customer service resource management program is really helpful for keeping track of leads um, from, you know, from the back end standpoint. 
Um, but then at the end of the day, it's just about talking to people. And that right. often means picking up the phone or walking out of your office, um, connecting with someone on LinkedIn. It requires that ask and that reach. Yes. And and I'll touch on, I, I know we provide links for some free resources, but I personally use HubSpot as my CRM to kind of track that sales funnel. That's There's a great free resource, which, you know, as we're bootstrapping uh startup founders, a lot of times we need those. So great advice. Yeah. You know, one other comment I would love to ask for both of you. So what's your thought around relationship selling versus cold call selling? Do you actually, either of you ever do cold call selling? And let me preface, I come from the telemarketing industry. (laughs) I used to teach a hundred telemarketers a month to call people late at night and switch their phone. And I loved it. <laughs> oh man, how fun. So is the question, what, repeat the, the end. So really what I want to understand is, um, do you ever, because I'm hearing a lot about relationship selling, mm-hmm. building the rapport, building relationship, but do you ever have cold calling, like hardcore, yeah. I'm going to pick up the phone and I don't know anybody on that other end. Do you do that or do you avoid it like the plague? I think a lot of people do avoid it like the plague. The reality is, though, um, you're going to have what we classify as different types of leads. A cold lead, which is going to be, you know, you have no background information, you know nothing, but they might be a potential prospect, so you need to call them. Um, But then once you've made a contact, now they can potentially become a warm lead. Um, And then if they were a referral, they might even become a hot lead. And so having different types of leads that you're constantly stuffing into your sales funnel is really important to create a full cycle of selling. Um, and all the whole point of a cold call is to turn it into a relational sale. So I, I truly believe you have to be doing both all the time to be successful. Excellent. Nice. I personally, I don't think I've done cold calling with pop and paint. I've done it in the past with other businesses, but with pop and paint, it's usually been a warm or a hot call. I've ever, ever got a referral. Uh, hey, this company or this business wants to do a painting class, reach out to them, speak to this person. Um, or it's just someone interested that I followed up through, you know, a comment that's left on the website or something like that. They've usually always started the conversation. Angie, you talked about this idea when you're in person and even at the playground with your kids, just engaging with people. And I know for me personally, like talking about my business felt salesy until I really got comfortable with like connecting that passion. But do you remember a time when it was uncomfortable to talk about pop and paint and how you made that transition to getting comfortable with it? Um, that's a very good question. No, I don't think I've ever been uncomfortable. And I think that's awesome. the reason it feels like it's <laughs> the best fit for me right now. Yeah. I don't think it's ever felt uncomfortable. Um, I've always been super excited and when I started it here in Portland four years ago, not many people knew about it. Like it was a, a new industry starting up. And so, you know, starting up a local business with it, everyone was intrigued. So they're like, oh, tell me more. I want to know more. Right. So, so I, you were just educating yeah, them. And they're like, oh, there's something you can paint and drink at? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, no, I've never felt uncomfortable talking about it. <laughs> How about you, Amanda? Have you ever felt uncomfortable talking about your business? Um, I don't have a personal discomfort with it, but one of the things I've had to override is the discomfort that it gives other people um, because menstrual health care is still a very taboo topic in a lot of arenas. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a huge education component. 
And I've had to figure out how to navigate that in a way that resonates clearly with other people. Um, and, and that makes it um, not this subject that's gross per se, but something that's a human, a basic human need, right. something that has to be addressed just like any other medical or human need that we have. And so sometimes the messaging isn't about how it makes you feel, but sometimes it's about how it makes someone else feel. Fantastic. Well, now that we've covered the basics, we are going to head into the how-to segment of the show. Talk about best practices and common mistakes in the sales process after a short break. You're listening to Biz 503, the podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Krista King of Fitlandia, co-hosting with Kedma O from Mount Hood Community College, SBDC. Today on Biz 503, sales strategies that work and how startup founders can integrate sales as natural part of their business. And back with us on the show to share do's and don'ts about sales, Amanda Wilson, founder of Voxapod. And Angie Gordon, founder of Pop and Paint. Welcome back, ladies. Thank you. Well, great. Um, I believe we have a listener that has asked a question. So we're going to go ahead and pose it. So uh, here is the question. When Amanda talks about selling from a service perspective, can she clarify what she means by that? Selling from a service perspective. Um, I'm assuming that person is talking about selling a service versus a product. Um, and I think at the end of the day, when you're selling, um, you, oh, I think they're talking about the service minded aspect, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so much of selling is not convincing somebody that they need your product or your service that you're offering, but rather figuring out what that person's pain or need is and whether or not what you're offering can help fill that pain or need for them. Um, there's a component called buyer's atmosphere. And really what that is, is that allows people to buy instead of feel sold. And so much of a sale is made in the introduction that you have with someone, not really in the selling components of the sales cycle. And what that means is that um, in that introduction, really what you're trying to do is get to know that consumer and figure out what their pain and their need is so that you can really demonstrate to them how what you're selling fills that pain or need. So ladies, I'm going to tap into your expertise and be really selfish to help with my online business here. So, um, you know, you talked about your sales are online um, and Angie, I'll start with you with pop and paint. So people are actually making that transaction online, but there's probably also some opportunities to partner with people. Um, And how do you get your foot in the door with those partnerships? Like, because that is a little bit of cold calling. How do you kick that off? It's a little bit of cold calling, but most of my relationships and getting my foot in the door is I established a relationship first. So um, getting my foot in the door, basically I had three different areas of what I was looking at for my business. You know, not only was I working with clients, buying my service, I was also looking for local venues that I wanted to partner with or big companies that I wanted to do private events with. And the way I got my foot in the door was just making the relationship. My first venue that I started with was actually a local venue down the street that I frequent. I was one of the local patrons that came in, had a glass of wine and got to know the owner, sat there, chatted with him, told him about my concept. He loved it. He wanted to be on board, offer it to his patrons. And 
we started the relationship right there. Yeah, you just touched on something really powerful, which is you're already engaged with their service and you're just feeling a need that they have. Amanda, do you have any other insights to add on getting your foot in the door? Um, I think it's great to start by asking for referrals. Um, if you if you know people that know people, that's a that's a great way to start. And then whenever you wrap up a sale with someone, whether they buy or they don't buy, uh, it's always a great idea to ask someone, hey, do you know of anybody that might benefit from what I'm doing? And you'll be surprised um, just that one line, how much you'll get from that and how many people really do want to help you, especially if you've made a, a good rapport and connection with them. So speaking about buy or no buy, so Angie, you come and you um, promote this at my uh, company. And first thing I say is, that's great. I am not interested. How do you respond? You know, I would then proceed with, okay, were you not interested at this very moment? Would it be something that you would be interested in the future for your, either your clients or your employees? Because we do fantastic team building events. So I would follow up with that first. And then if you're just absolutely not interested, period, I take the no. Like, I I don't have a lot of time. I'm a small business owner. I wear multiple hats. So, you know, getting that no, yes, it's heartbreaking, but you got to move forward and move on to your next potential client. Amanda? Um, I think there's a a couple things that you can do. If somebody point blank says, I'm not interested, um, and they're not giving you a reason why, you know, Angie's advice of, of following up with them in six months, because it could be a budget issue. It could be, um, you know, they're just not in a position where they can add one more thing to their plate. So they feel overwhelmed to be able to make that decision right now. So sometimes they're not actually rejecting the product or the service that you have, but rather they're looking inwardly at their own circumstantial situation. Um, and so a, a follow-up is good, but also it's, it's really important to find out maybe you know, why they're not interested. And that's what we call an objection. And then you can hopefully answer that objection because most of the time people don't buy because they're confused, not because they're not interested. So I love where you both are coming from. My question is, is what happens when the objection is we're working with your competitor? I would actually follow up and say, could you give me a reason why you chose them over me? I mean, say it in a more politically correct way. Um, But Maybe there's something that I need to look at that I'm not focusing on yet. Maybe they found either it was a, a price comparison thing or, oh, they offered more instructors or, you know, they customized my events. I mean, there's something that I could always improve on because no business is perfect. You can always be flexible and work with the client. Excellent. Um, so there's a technique called feel, felt, found that we like to use in sales and, um, What it is, is it's validating how somebody feels and validating what their choice was rather than dismissing the fact that they chose to work with a competitor. Um, And then it's it's demonstrating to them um, that you not only understand how they feel, but other people maybe have felt that same way until they found out X. And you get to fill that blank in with what applies to that situation. So I might say to you, oh, Kedema, I completely understand how you feel. A lot of other people have felt the same way until they found out that you know, this person, this person, and this person were working with us because our, you know, this service that we offer had a little bit more of a cutting edge than that competitor that you're working with. And they found that made their lives and their jobs a lot more convenient and saved them time. Um, And I would love to just sit down with you and do a little bit of a comparison analysis to see if what we have to offer might actually benefit you more. Excellent. (laughs) 
Let's talk about sales do's and don'ts. And I'm going to I'm going to hit right in there with that ick feeling. So recently I uh, was asked to have a meeting with a company that I thought was looking for a potential partnership. And about three minutes into the meeting, I realized it was a crummy Ovaltine commercial and they were actually selling to me. But they weren't, <laughs> they weren't actually like asking me about my needs and, and listening. They just kind of launched right into it. And I was shocked. So how do you make sure that whomever you're talking to, Angie, I'll start with you, you're transparent about the intention of your time with them. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, I think it depends on who you're meeting with. Um, but my initial meetings is, you know, they know who I am, what I'm trying to sell to them. But then I also understand their business, their background. I try to do a little bit of research on them before I go in to do a meeting with them. And then when we sit down, I sort of give them an outline like, hey, well, here's why I'm, you know, meeting with you. We want to talk about this, but I also want to learn about what you want out of this experience as well. So I try to figure out if what I'm trying to sell meets their needs. So yes. I try not to blindside anybody with anything. So, <laughs> Well, I love that. And it's it really is solving their problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, And I love that you do the research too to get to know them. I think that's a really big missing component. Yes. When I have people reach out to me and they haven't done just the basic research, I really struggle with that. So Amanda... What are some of your tips to just really get to know the company, their mission, their values before you reach out to them? Um, yeah, you can, you know, start by going through their website. You can find a lot of information just by reading through some of their basic web pages. Most web, most companies even have an about page. Um, and sometimes even in combing through that, looking at their team, you might be able to figure out who the decision maker is so that you're not spending a lot of time pitching something to someone that ultimately can't make the decision. And then now you're stuck with what's called the telephone game, that person relaying your sales pitch to the actual decision maker, but it doesn't come out the way you wanted it to. Um, you can go through, you know, LinkedIn is another great resource. If you know who the decision maker is, you know, go in and figure out what some of their accomplishments are. How did they get there? Chances are it wasn't easy. Um, and you might even be able to analyze what some of their needs are just by doing those two things. And I'm going to tag onto that really quickly because lately I've been using LinkedIn more and more to make those connections. And it's incredible what a small world we're in and where you can actually see how they're connected to someone else and how that can then promote a really, or I should say facilitate a really great relationship between them because of this connection that you do have. So I love that tip. You know, and as I'm listening to this, one of my questions, especially for face-to-face -face selling, do you ever find yourself modifying how you approach the sales based on someone's culture? Here's my example. I'm from the East Coast. I make it really clear that if you're going to come and pitch, you have five minutes. I want to know what it is, why I need it, and what do I have to do to move forward? How do you deal with cultural sensitivity as you approach sales, because the reality is, is that we all process differently. So I'd love to hear first from Amanda. Yeah, that's a really important thing to assess when you're approaching. Um, there's something that we call mirroring, which is where you try to somewhat mirror the person that you're talking with. Um, if the person you're talking with has a much more low-key demeanor, you should probably come in with a little bit of a low-key demeanor. Um, if they're high energy, 
bring your high energy. Um, you know, obviously recognizing certain cultural differences is really important. Um, I try to always, always outline the time commitment piece because I feel like everybody's time is their biggest commodity, even above money. And so you gotta, re- you have to respect that for someone. And so if you say to someone, hey, I'd love 20 minutes of your time to meet, wrap up after 20 minutes and get out of there, you know, <laughs> and even say, hey, I'm gonna watch my time while we meet just so I can be respectful and make sure that I'm out of here on time for you. And set a, set a timer. I would often set a timer on my phone um, to give me a couple minute warning. So there's things that you can do just to demonstrate basic respect, even if you don't, aren't able to recognize all of the cultural differences. Awesome. Angie? No, she gave, she gave some great tips. I think the only other thing I would add on is I would leave some follow-up information in case I can't touch base on everything that I want to leave that with them so they'll have that right in front of them when they leave. And then if they see it, they're like, oh, okay, let me read up on this. And I totally get it. I'm from the East Coast as well. So <laughs> they want to in and out. Get it. Awesome. So we all have a, a website, right? So we have this web presence. And a lot of times that's the first time people are getting to know us. And somebody gave me some really amazing advice, which is handle your objections on your home page with your messaging. So Amanda, I'm going to start with you. How do you, first of all, come up with those objections and then address them in your messaging on your website? Great question. Um, Let's start by defining what an objection is, because I think there's probably a lot of listeners who don't know what that is. So an objection is not an outright no to what you're selling. An objection is um, something that they might say to counter what you're selling or counter what you're saying. And usually an objection occurs because somebody is confused about something. Um, They don't see how it fits their need um, or there's a piece of information that's missing for them. And so you'll, as you start talking to people, what you're going to find is you're going to start to get what we call common objections, which is where you start hearing the same thing repeatedly from people. And there's, there's kind of the well-known ones of, you know, I don't have time. I don't have enough budget. Um, you know, I'm not sure that would, would fit our needs. You know, those are kind of the initial ones people give before they've even heard what you're pitching. But if you know what those intimate things are that people are trying to get at, you can answer them in advance, preventing the objection from even occurring in the sales cycle. So what, and going looping back to what Krista is saying with, you know, answering those objections on your homepage, you can do a frequently asked questions because those are often the, the questions that people want the answers to, to move forward with their decision. So it might be, you know, in my case with my product, it's, you know, what is that? Is it healthy? Is it safe? You know, how is it, how is it made? Is, is it, is it going to get stuck in there? Um, I get all kinds of, of crazy objections with, you know, particularly my product and what I'm selling. So those are going to vary from person to person. But if you can answer those in a way on your website that does that up front, it eliminates that for yes. the process. And you may have been the person that clued me into that because now I do have my frequently asked questions on my homepage. Angie, how about you? How do you use your website to overcome objections? I would say that you got to make everything crystal clear for your audience. Mm. If there's anything that they don't understand, they're going to get questions. And it's funny with the way my business model is, I travel to the clients and I still get questions of, (laughs) hey, where's your studio at? I'm like, there's no studio. So that's something that I need to go back and reiterate on my website, um, which I think it's clear, but not everyone does apparently. So I'm just making sure everything's crystal clear so they understand. Awesome. You know, and as I'm hearing, I I love that there's this, the website presence and then there's the people presence. 
You know, and one of the things I, I think about, especially in the healthcare industry, is a lot of times people are selling health products, health supplements. And, you know, the truth be told, if someone says, I'm not interested, they may react by saying, well, why not? You don't want to take care of your health. You don't want to lose weight. You don't want to make sure that you're going to, you know, be there for your kids. How do you avoid being obnoxious <laughs> and and not falling into the trap of hard sales, which often we see, um, it, may, it may not be us, but we see it time and time again. How do you avoid that, Amanda? You know, historically, I think salespeople were trained a certain way and it was to push a concept and to force a close and force a close by not accepting a no. And um, I don't agree with that philosophy. I think sales, like everything else in our world, has evolved. And I think coming at it with a really service-minded approach and trying to genuinely figure out what people are needing and whether or not you can fill that need. And I think what you just described as a scenario is completely eliminated by what I would call basic empathy and care for someone. <laughs> Um, genuinely, if you have just basic empathy for someone and your desire is to truly help them, you would never say something like that to them. You would never say that to your mom or your friend, um, you know, unless you had that sort of brash kind of relationship where it was say anything and that's how it was preferred. But for the most part, I think having just basic genuine care and that comes across, people are very, very receptive to that. Excellent. Angie? I would totally, I totally agree with that. Um, receiving emails... And just basically what you said, I think when you respond with empathy and sympathy, it's people really take take to that. And and that was a real life scenario. Yeah, that's the scary part. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so we we talked a little bit earlier about people that are nervous about sales and how to get comfortable with it. But I want to take it a step deeper. And what are some tips that you can give a truly shy, introverted person? that their personality is just not to be outward. What are some great, like, oh, Amanda, I'll start with you for some practical tips on how to get out of your shell. Yeah, I think um, one of the easiest things that anybody can do is to set a schedule and be really, really um, clear about what that schedule looks like. Um, and what that kind of does is it holds you to a certain level of accountability to carry out certain parts of the sales process that you may not feel comfortable with, but because it's in the schedule, you now have to do it. Um, positive self-talk, as kind of cliche as that might sound, it's a very real thing. We know for a fact that when we tell ourselves positive things, it literally transfers into our actions at a certain point after going through several other steps, right? And so that's why you see a lot of positive motivational things around sales. Now, do you have to become super cliche and start listening to Zig Ziglar? No, you, you don't. I think it's most <laughs> important that you're authentic to who you are. But I think having a schedule and keeping your thoughts from going down into like self-deprecating paths and rabbit holes of I'm just not good at this or I can't do this, um, that, you know, you might end up finding that you're your own biggest barrier. And that oh, I love that. The best way to get out of that is positive self-talk. I love that. Angie, what are your tips? I would say do your research. Make sure you know who you're meeting with so you feel a little bit more comfortable about the conversation you're about to have with them. Um, the next step is basically, like she said, be yourself. I mean, I, you're not going to be, if you're normally not outgoing, make that your advantage. I mean, go in there, have a conversation with them, learn what they need. Um and just be yourself. 
I like that. And I also love the idea of role playing with someone that you do feel safe with so that they you can kind of get comfortable with that human interaction and what that feels like and and be able to anticipate a response too. You know, as it, we've been talking so much about how to make that introduction and how to uh, convey the the need for the for the product or service and sell. But I'm so curious to figure out how do you handle the gatekeepers who don't care what you're selling? Their job is simple. Do not talk to the decision maker. And that is so tough. So Angie, how do you deal with gatekeepers? It's a very good question. Um, you know, it really depends on the company that you're dealing with and the relationship that you have. Um, that's a really hard question now, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it in depth. Um, do you have anything? Yeah, I can jump in. Um, so, you know, everybody has gatekeepers, unless it's a really small business and the person answering the phone also happens to be the founder and owner. Um, but uh, we do what's called building rapport. And so sometimes letting somebody know that you are actually part of that industry by demonstrating that you, number one, know the industry, number two, know people in the industry, and number three, know who their competitors are. So if I'm talking to a gatekeeper, I might say, again, you can go back to the feel, felt, found. Oh, yes, um, Jane, I completely understand how you feel. I had a lot of other people feel the same way until they found out that we work with so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And now all of a sudden their ears are perked up. You have their attention because guess what? Those are three people they follow and they pay attention to. And even though they might not buy or be interested in what you're doing, they want to know what their competitors are up to. So it's a great way to, to try and bypass that gatekeeper. Um, and then also try reaching out to other resources in the company, not in an obnoxious way, but maybe the person you're trying to get to is the, you know, the director of marketing. So maybe don't call and go through the front desk person. Maybe, you know, go online, go on LinkedIn and find out who the director of marketing is and send them a nice email, you know, or give them a call if you can find their number and try and bypass that other ways. Excellent. Like everything else in business, there are always ups and downs and things to adapt to. Stay with us in our final segment. We'll talk about how to stay nimble and be creative with your sales strategies. Are you ready to turn your idea into cash or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503, the talk show for startups and small businesses. Welcome back. I'm Kedma O, co-hosting with Krista King on 503, Biz 503. Today we're talking about sales and how to break down financial strategies and plans into profit-making business. Back with us in studio to cover return customers, staying on top of the sales cycle and more, we have Amanda Wilson, founder of Voxa Pod, and Angie Gordon, founder of Pop and Paint. Welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, so I have a crazy question that ties to getting in front of people. And do you have any innovative ways to get someone's attention? Kind of uh, segueing Amanda from what you were just speaking on. And specifically, somebody gave me a tip of doing some research on the person, company that you're reaching out to and actually submitting a video to them addressing their problem. Have you guys heard of any like wild and crazy innovative strategies? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of strategies. I've I've not heard of that one, sending a video. Um, but I think today w- with technology evolved as fast as it is, that I think there are creative ways to um, get people's attention. And I think um, a lot of these marketer, marketing directors get inundated um, with salespeople. They get inundated with information. Um, and I think it's really important to set yourself apart and figuring out maybe what your competitors are doing and so that you can create something that's a little bit different. Um, the one thing you mentioned, Krista, is talking about specifically finding their need and filling it. And I just keep going back to that mm-hmm. because that is the core essence of selling. And so if you can figure out how to do that through social media, through a video, um, through a brochure, through, um, you know, a, a common, you know, rapport building connection that you guys have, I think there's a lot of routes that you could take with that. I personally don't have like any wow, crazy things that I have done. Um, Angie, you're shaking your head. <laughs> any any wow, crazy, innovative strategies you've tested? Not that I've tested. Things have happened unexpectedly, like having a painting class, you know, out in the public in the courtyard um, and having someone walk by and be interested. And then, you know, them being a, an owner of something else. And they're like, oh, that's really interesting. And then starting a conversation and finding out who they are at yeah, that's the most shocking one to me. Awesome. Yeah, so even just letting them happen organically mm-hmm. and letting them come to you. Yeah. Great. So let me let me segment into sales structure. Give me a life in kind of a, a day in your life. What does it look like from a sales perspective? So let's say um, Monday through, I don't know what, what days you work, but hypothetically Monday through Friday, um, do you set a goal to say from nine to 12, I will be doing five sales? I'm curious to know how you focus on a sales plan and format in order to achieve your sales goals. So um, Angie, if you want to start. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. So basically, you know, working on Pompa Pate, it's not a full-time job. I, you know, raise a kid as well. So, you know, it's the days that I do work. I do set a schedule and I'm like, you know, it may not be half a day. It may be, okay, my first two hours, this is who I'm going to follow up with. I've already did the initial reach out or they've reached out to me. I'm going to make sure I follow up to see if I can book those private events. Um, And after that, it's just making sure that everything on the website and on the social platforms are up to date and where they need to be with potential sales. So that's where I stand. Got it. I think having a sales strategy is incredibly imperative to the success of getting making your business profitable, not just breaking even, but actually profitable. Um, and I'm guessing with listeners, we probably have people at different stages. So if you're a solo entrepreneur, and you're doing everything yourself, um, your attention is being pulled in all areas. And chances are sales may not be your favorite thing to do, because it does require a little bit more emotional energy. And so really dedicating specific times to be cold calling or to be reaching out to those even warm leads that you were given, um, really building that into your schedule on a consistent basis every single week, Um, setting really specific goals for your month, for your quarter, for your year, and then working that backwards. Um, At the end of the day, sales is still a numbers game. So the more people you talk to, the more sales you're gonna make. Most people are going to say no. So as soon as you're comfortable with that, you recognize that every no you get is actually going to get you closer to a yes. And so we call those um, calls. So however many people you call on. So setting a call goal is something that is within your realm of control. Making a sale is not actually in your realm of control. You can't control who's going to buy and who's not going to buy. You can set 
sales goals and know that um, figure, start to statistically track how many calls you need to make to get one sale. And then you can start to set your goals by saying, okay, if I have to do 30 calls to get one sale, which is pretty typical, um, then I know if I want to have four sales in this month, I need to do X amount of, of calls. So you can set your goals that way, but being really specific with your goals and then being dedicated to spending the time doing it is really important. I would also say set limitations for yourself as well, like knowing where you need to stand at time constraints. Like if you set two hours, you know, try to keep to that and the number of contacts you make per person. If I'm reaching out to this one specific person over a couple of weeks, do I know I want to reach out to them twice, three times? What's my number before I just finally set my limit and then move on to the next client? Great suggestion. Okay, so we've done those 30 calls. We actually got a customer to buy now, how do we turn that customer into an ambassador for our business? Angie, I'll kick it off with you. I, you know what? It, from my experience, it's how they intercept the experience that they're given. So when they attend the painting class, I usually do follow up with an email afterwards, letting them know, hey, photos are online. You can go check them out. But also, how's your experience? How were the instructors? Would you come back to another painting class? And I try to get their feedback. So I can incorporate that into everyone else's experience so I can improve on it. Um, and following up with newsletters, just keeping them engaged and wanting them to know about the business. Yes. And then do you also ask them to rebuy? Mm -hmm. I also do returning customer coupons in the back of the canvas. And we announce that at the end of every class saying, hey, if you enjoyed your experience, check out the coupon that we're giving you so you can return on a discounted sell price and enjoy the experience again. Oh, I love that. That's a great tip. Amanda, what's your experience? Yeah, I think um, it's a lot easier to utilize the revenue you can get from a repeat customer or um, a renewal than it is to try and go find a new customer. Um, and so if you can make sure that your renewal percentage is high, um, what that does is that gives you some stability in your sales channel so that while you're stuffing new potential prospects, you know that you, you have this kind of more steady stream of income that is going to support the business. Um, so that's really important from a financial standpoint. Um, but I think to Angie's point that I want to reiterate is that so much of that creating that renewal has to do with how you run your business, how you run your customer service, how good your product is, how good what you're selling actually is. And so that's why selling can be so challenging is because it's just one of the many hats that you have to wear as a business owner. Um, running the actual business can't get shelved just because you have now gotten a, a new sale you still have to make sure that you're taking care of the people that you've brought on and made obligations and commitments to. You know, as I listen to you, Amanda, you sound so, I, and don't take this the wrong way, you sound so well-polished as a salesperson. And I'm, I'm really curious to know, did you receive any sales training? That, were you just born as a sales magician or did you get books? Um, it's, it's really intriguing. I'd love to hear from both of you. How did you how did you get to a point where you really, especially with your terminologies, I have to remember all of them, but how did you get so well versed around sales? Most of my um, sales training actually came from a summer job that I did where I sold books door to door every summer, Southwestern Publishing. Some people are familiar with it. Um, and they did an incredible job with the training. Um, we had a, a written sales talk because college students are still kind of awkward. We, you don't really know who you are. You're, you're not totally set into your confidence yet. 
um, by having a sales talk that walked people through the entire sales cycle. It took a lot of the pressure off um, because we already knew what we were going to say when we got to each person and whether it worked or not. Uh, the more that we did that, the better that we got at it and the better you got at reading people's body language and knowing how to respond. So I did have a lot of formal training in that process. For people that don't have that experience or didn't have access to that at a certain point in their life, yeah, there's a lot of great books out there, a lot of great materials out there that you can read. Some of them are very gimmicky. Some of them aren't going to resonate with you. Most of them don't resonate with me, to be honest. I'm a very vulnerable and authentic person, and that comes across when you meet me. Um, and, and I love connecting with people. So one of the things for me is I genuinely love people. Some people hate people, but I actually love them. Um, I think you have to find what works for you, the style that works for you. Um, something that if you're really intimidated by it, that might be helpful is find somebody that you know does selling and ask if you can shadow them. You might not be somebody that's going to glean it all from a book, but you might go watch somebody and go, hey, I can do that. Um, and pick up some tips, take some notes, but do yourself a favor and be very quiet. Don't interject in their conversation at any point. Let them just do their thing and ask if you can be a completely silent observer. Um, and you'll find that there's a lot of people that would be willing to help you in that way. Great. Nice. Um, basically, with me, I don't have any formal training with sales, um, but I'm usually, I love people. Like she said, I'm a very much a people person, love to get out there, love to hear stories. And that's what I feel like I'm sharing with everyone when I talk about pop and paint is, you know, how I started it, what I'm doing. It's a story. Um, and you wouldn't know, I have a construction background. And so cold calling subcontractors working at a construction company, I learned a lot of the way of negotiating through that. So once I get most of my potential clients to a certain step, it's all about negotiations from there. So I actually did learn a lot from, you know, subcontracting in the construction industry. So... Every little bit of your background plays into what you're doing now. Oh, doesn't it though? So, so let's fast forward. Now you're generating some revenue and you're ready to expand and hire a sales team. And I think hiring is one of the biggest challenges a founder has to overcome. They have to fit your culture, your values, and they have to be skilled at what they're doing. Angie, have you gone through the process of expanding your sales team? I have not. No, I am not at that step yet. yet. I know my husband and I are still like, we wear multiple hats. I get mm -hmm. his expertise with business consulting. So he does a lot of my side work. Um, but no, I mean, we just don't have, we're not at that point yet to move on. Right. Amanda, do you have some tips for hiring and developing and retaining? I think that's an important piece of it too. Yeah. So leadership is actually a skill that you have to learn and be trained on. It's not something most of us have naturally. Um, you know, we come with all kinds of relationship histories um, and those dynamics play into a role that we have with an employee. Um, there's a certain element of trust. This person is trusting you to take care of them. Um, and there's a certain amount of wanting to know what's expected of them. And so I think one of the things initially to do is create really clear expectations and written format that they can look at to see exactly what is being asked of them and having clear definitive directions so they know what they're being hired to do. Um, if they don't feel that or have that sense from you as a leader, the trust gets broken very quickly. They start to feel insecure and you're going to experience turnover. Um, so onboarding with clear expectations, but then also I think recognizing that when people show up to work, they show up as whole people, not just as a salesperson. So please recognize them as a whole person and, and have those regular conversations from time to time to just check in with them. Um, 
this is a really, really key one with salespeople. So we hire salespeople and we expect results. Results don't always come immediately because there's a learning curve for them. They're trying to figure out your industry. They're trying to figure out your product or your service. Um, so those check-ins are really important, but also um, recognizing the hard work that they're putting in. And some of those check-ins need to just be, how are you doing? And not what are the results you've made? Every once in a while, a check-in needs to just be about them and how they're doing as a whole person and not about, and you know, have a separate meeting about, you know, where things are at number-wise and then help them problem shoot. You know, they're going to come up to some barriers that maybe you have already experienced and you forgot to teach them that. You forgot to help them with that one. So recognize that they're on this learning curve and it's your job to journey that with them, not just throw them out to the wolves. Wow. Uh, so walk us through some database tools, tools you use to actually track your sales. So specifically, you're out at a networking event, you get 50 business cards. How do you manage that? Is there a special program you use? Also, do you use Excel? Do you use Salesforce? So if you can walk through some of those tools, that would be so beneficial for the audience. Want to start? Yeah, Amanda. Sure. Um, yeah, there's a lot of what's called CRM, customer relations management systems out there. Krista mentioned HubSpot, which is a great free one. Um, there's Pipedrive, there's Salesforce. You know, do your research to figure out what's going to work best for you. Um, if you're a smaller company and you're looking to scale, look for those free resources that have, you know, um, platforms that will easily allow you to transfer into something more complex as you grow and scale your business. So you don't have that headache to deal with down, down the road two or three years. Um, Excel is great, I think, for creating strategies and um, documenting information, milestones, some financials. Um, but at the end of the day, I think if you have something um, like Pipedrive or HubSpot, it actually allows you to track the sales cycle where people are at in that. Because as you start to call people, you're going to continue to stuff your funnel and you're going to have people at different points in the cycle. You're going to have people that you're calling for the first time. You're going to have people you need to follow up with. You're going to have people you've given a presentation to and people that you've sent a proposal to that now you need to close on. And so knowing exactly where those people are and having something that gives you reminders, because at the end of the day, you're going to start reaching out to so many people that you can't keep track. And so these tools are going to become your brain outside of yourself to help you automate the organization of your, you know, your business. Excellent. Angie, one more comment? Yeah, um, we definitely use HubSpot, just like you mentioned. Um, I think it's time for Pop and Paint to move up to another CRM level as well, because I'm still using it between HubSpot, Excel, and just the basic calendar of like setting reminders of, hey, I need to reach out to this group of people or I need to reach out to this group of people. Um, but I'm on a much smaller scale than some of you guys. So well, what I use. Great resources. Thanks so much, Amanda and Angie, for being on today's show. You guys dropped so many awesome tips. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for, for having us. Yes, yeah, thank absolutely. Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP and have a fantastic weekend. Support for Biz 503 comes from Imix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Imix for business advice.